Let's take a moment and pray before we look into God's Word. Father, thank you for the story that's recorded in the Bible, the story of your love, the story that fills in behind the verse, for God so loved the world that he sent his son, the story that unfolds in the pages of Scripture about your love expressed, your love poured out, your love in sending your Son, Jesus. Lord, help us to gain understanding. Help us to respond accordingly. Rebuke us and correct us. God, enlarge our appreciation and our gratitude and our thankfulness for what you've done. Thank you for each person here, Lord. And speak to each of our hearts and all, as only you can by your Spirit, through your Word, through one another, through the rising and the setting of the sun. Call us to you, Jesus. Open our hearts. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. So I just want to remind you, in the book of Exodus, when God was leading his people out of Egypt, there's the story told when they came to the last of the many plagues, that God was going to take the firstborn son of all who did not have the blood of the lamb on their door, and it was called the Passover. And they were to put the blood of the lamb on the top of the door and the doorposts. And when the angel of death came around, God's judgment against sin and against those who would refuse to trust him, the firstborn son was to die. And I want us to think for a second about uh, two Israelites on the eve of that they having a conversation. Can you imagine what God has done? One of them says to the other, look at Egypt is almost devastated and now God is going to bring the angel of death. How exciting, how amazing, how gripping, how terrifying. And yet if we have the blood of the Lamb, on our doorposts, it says, he said, Moses told us from God that the angel of death will pass by. And the other one was saying, yeah, but I'm still a little nervous. You have three sons. I only have one son. I'm nervous. I'm not sure. Well, did you put the blood on your doorposts? The blood of the Lamb? Of course I did. Not stupid, but I'm still nervous. 
So that night, whose son died? Which of the two sons died? Neither one. Because it's not the intensity of our faith. It's the object of our faith. And the object of our faith is in God sending His Son. It's the Son and His accomplishment on the cross that covers the penalty of sin. As some of us remember through the Scriptures, it says, O ye of little faith. And we have Jesus telling stories about the faith of a child. So it isn't the length of your faith. It isn't the intensity of your faith. It's the object of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the salvation from sin. That's where the forgiveness of sin lies. I was pondering afresh and anew, as you are invited to also, these last uh, few days and weeks, as we think about the upcoming celebration of resurrection, but before resurrection comes the crucifixion. And I wanted to invite you to listen as I just recap the story. I'm going to read from mostly out of the Gospel of Mark and then it just includes a few thoughts. But I want you to just be reminded again of how enormous and how large and how many things were going on in this story. And remind us behind the scenes of a sovereign God who so loved the world that He sent His Son. The sole purpose of the Son coming was to go to the cross and to be the atonement, be the justification, be the ransom for sin. So in Mark chapter 14, Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to arrest Jesus and kill Him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people will riot. While He was in Bethany, reclining at the table of a homeman, of a home, at the home in a man named Simon, the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar, poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why the waste of this perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in her memory. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Just in the midst of the, in the beginning of the story, we see a beautiful act of sacrifice. We don't know how long this woman had saved this perfume, but we know by the reaction of the people, it was very expensive and valuable. 
But to her, the value was to acknowledge and anoint the head of her Savior while another person's thinking about how they can betray him. And that's the human heart. Running through the midst of the human heart is evil and goodness. Evil which needs to become overcome by goodness. The goodness of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the love of God. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to prepare for the Passover meal? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and you'll meet a man there carrying water. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room, where I may eat my Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with his twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely not I. It is one of you, the twelve, he replied, the one who dips bread in the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as is written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. And he took the cup, gave thanks, offered it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, I tell you the truth. I will not drink it again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out the Mount of Olives. We, we uh, in our midst, Christians all over the world, we celebrate what we call the Lord's Supper a time of fellowship and intimacy to recognize and remember Jesus' sacrifice, the shedding of His blood, His death, and His resurrection. When they went out to the Mount of Olives, Jesus said, You will all fall away. Word is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee, Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I die with you, I will never disown you. All the others said the same thing. Just reminded of uh, my own human pride. What I claim, what I live, and His grace, who knows me, still accepts me and loves me. They went to the place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. 
He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus made that phrase there, take as he prayed, asking the Father, Take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. And the cup that he's referring to is the cup of God's wrath against sin. And as we talked about last week, we can be thankful for God's wrath for many reasons. And I just can't go back to last week, all the things we shared, but just the idea and understanding that God's wrath is God's settled attitude towards sin. He's against it. He hates it. And he has always will and always has and forever pour out his wrath and his power against sin. Wrath is the bursting forth in controlled and directed and deliberate force against sin. Wrath is that which is in the character of God that always stands against sin. And you and I can be thankful and grateful about that because it demonstrates God's love his justice, His holiness. A God who does not exercise wrath against sin in all its forms would Himself be an immoral and an unloving God. And so the cup that Jesus drank was the cup of God's wrath against sin for us. He died so that we wouldn't face the wrath of God those who put their faith in Jesus and their trust in Jesus, in Jesus' accomplishment. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Judas, going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then those standing near drew a, then one of those standing near drew a sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion? said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me. Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. 
but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and elders and teachers of the law came together. Peter followed them at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they did not find any. The chief priests, the whole Sanhedrin, were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. They did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. He who knew no sin, the Bible says, became sin for us. Then some stood up and gave false testimony against him. We've heard him say, I will destroy this temple and in three days build another. Yet even their testimonies did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer what this testimony, these men bringing charges against you? But Jesus remained silent. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. And some began to spit at him, blindfolded him, struck him with their fists and said, Prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls and the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. Were you also with that Nazarene? He denied it. I don't know what you're talking about. And he went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. A little while Later, those standing nearest Peter said, You are one of them. You're a Galilean. He began to call down curses upon himself, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Very early in the morning, the chief priests of the elders and the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin reached the decision. They bound Jesus and led him away and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply. Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom of the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison 
with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and Pilate asked them to do for them what they usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to them. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. They shouted all the louder. Crucify him! Crucify him! Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, the king of the Jews. Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe, put on his own clothes, and then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from the country. They forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of skull. There they offered him mixed wine with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charges against him read the king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults, shaking their heads and saying, So, you are going to destroy the temple and build it up in three days. Come down off the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the elders of the law mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down from now the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified him also heaped insults on him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran to fill a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard this cry he saw how he, and saw how he died, he said, Surely this was the Son of Man. The cross enforces at least three truths for us. Our sins must be extremely horrible. We often can and do rationalize them. Oh, it was nothing. I won't do it again. We bargain. But the cross reminds us and enforces that our sin must be extremely horrible. 
Nothing reveals the gravity and the seriousness of sin like the cross. For ultimately, what Jesus sent there, He was sent there by neither the greed of Judas, nor the envy of the high priests, or the cowardice of Pilate, but all of our sins together. Our own greed, our own envy, our own cowardness, and all other sins. And Jesus' love and mercy to bear their judgment and to so put it away brought Him to the cross. For if there was no way by which to apply God's righteousness and God's justice and holiness to an unholy people other than forgive our unrighteousness except that He should bear it in Himself on the cross, it must be serious that God's own Son would have to bear our sin on the cross. It must be serious. The second thing that the cross enforces is God's love must be wonderful beyond comprehension. For God so loved that He sent His Son. He would have been right in abandoning us. He could have left us alone to reap the fruit of our own labor. He could have left us to perish in our sin. But God so loved the world, He so loved you, that He sent His Son. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He pursued us. He pursued you. He pursued me all the way to the cross. He bore our sin. He bore our guilt. He bore our judgment. He bore our death. He who knew no sin, Scripture says, became sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God in Him. The third truth that the Scripture enforces is that Jesus' salvation bought and paid for with His own blood must be a free gift. He purchased it. He made the payment. He gave the sacrifice. He was the Passover lamb. He's the object of our faith. What is left to pay? Jesus Himself on the cross said, it is finished. Paid in full. Jesus paid it all. He Himself paid it all. There's nothing we contribute to the cross but our sin. There were so many verses in Scripture throughout surrounding the cross, pointing to the cross. I wanted to include just a few of them for us this week as we ponder. This is out of Acts. It said, Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through Him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. And justified means just as if I hadn't sinned. That that's applied to us, justification, when we put our faith in Jesus, the object 
of our faith. Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given by which men must be saved. There's nowhere else to take your sin. There's nowhere else to take our guilt and our shame for our sin but to the cross. It was put on Jesus, your sin, my sin, the sin of the world. John 19 says this, Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so the Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was brought so that they soaked it in a sponge and put the sponge up on a stalk and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he received the drink, he said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head, gave up his spirit. John Stott, in his book, The Cross of Christ, says that this phrase is in the perfect tense in the Greek language, which means it has been and will forever remain finished. Sin is forgiven in Jesus' name and through His shed blood. It's the achievement of Jesus. John Stock goes on to say, it's not men who have finished their brutal deed. It is He who has accomplished what He came into the world to do, to be in fact the Passover Lamb under whose blood sins are forgiven. He has borne the sins of the world deliberately, freely, and in perfect love He has endured the judgment in our place. He has secured salvation for us. He has established a new covenant. He has paid for and forgiven our sins. The curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom to demonstrate that the sin barrier be, was thrown down by God Himself and the way into His presence is opened. Hebrews 8.27 says this, Unlike the other high priests, Jesus did not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for His own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when He offered Himself. Hebrews 9.11 When Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are already here, He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but He entered the most holy place once for all by His own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Hebrews 9.24 For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. He appeared for us as the advocate, the one who is the go-between. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did He enter heaven to offer Himself again and again, just as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not His own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And Hebrews 9, 8, 9, 10 repeat again and again the idea of once for all. Hebrews 10, By God's will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 
10.12, but when this high priest, Jesus, offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, because by one sacrifice he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. We may not know, we cannot tell what pains he had to bear, but we believe it was for us he hung and suffered there. Isaiah 53, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. By His wounds we are healed. We like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to His own way. But the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. John the Baptist said, Behold, look, see, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Mark 10.45 The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. 1 Peter He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. Christ died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. On the cross, Jesus bore the wrath of God for us. He died because of our sins. And before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. He died for us because we were separated from God by our sins. And so when we put our faith in His accomplishment on the cross, our sins are removed in Jesus' name by the blood. Peter Green said that, indeed, only the man or the woman who is prepared to own his share in the guilt of the cross may claim his share in the grace of the cross. On the cross where Jesus died, He bore our sins when crucified. "'Twas I that shed the sacred blood. I nailed Him to the tree." I crucified the Christ of God. I joined the mockery. Of all that shouted multitude, I feel that I am one. And in the din of voices rude, I recognize my own. Around the cross, the thing I see, mocking the sufferer's groan, yet still my voice, it seems to be, as if I mocked alone. He went to the cross voluntarily, deliberately, to express the Father's love and payment for the penalty to forgive whosoever would believe. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I lay down my life. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down on my own accord. Octavius Winslow said, Who delivered up Jesus to die? Not Judas for money. Not Pilate for fear. Not the Jews for envy, but the Father for love. So in the cross, we can all say, My sins put Him there. My sins put Him there. And His love sent Him there. Peter in his sermon at Pentecost attested to God's ultimate plan about Jesus when he said this in Acts. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. 
and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. The cross is at both the same time the clear statement about human evil and our responsibility to deal with our sin through faith in Jesus and a revealing of God's sovereign plan and purpose in overcoming human evil. Christ died to remove and cover and pay for our sins. Our sins were an obstacle and they are an obstacle that prevent us from receiving the gift that God wanted to give us. So they had to be removed. They had to be taken away. They block us from God. They keep us from Him and keep His face hidden from us. So He removed them and He took them away. He canceled the debt and He died for our sins. The Bible repeatedly says that the wages of sin is death. But Jesus took on Himself our sin. He died our death. And we die His death by putting our faith in Him. Jesus was sinless. He didn't need to die. The death He died was our death. He paid a debt He did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. Now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, all the day long. Let's pray. Father, what can we say in response to this? God, You sent Your Son, Your only Son, because of Your love, because of our sin, and the two met on the cross. Father, I would just pray for anyone here this morning who is recognizing for the first time maybe the significance of the cross of Jesus where the wrath of God was poured out because of the sin of man. And the love of God was poured out because of the desperation of sinful man. And death has been swallowed up in victory. The finished, accomplished, completed, sufficient work of Jesus Christ on the cross to pay the penalty for sin. So that no one would have to face the wrath of God and the penalty of sin, Jesus faced it for us. He drank from the cup down to its dregs and absolved the wrath of God over sin for whoever should believe on Him and receive eternal life in His name. Speak to our hearts, Jesus, throughout this week, throughout these moments. Throughout this day as only you can. Call us and draw us to yourself. Help us to recognize what you've done. Help us to turn from our sin. To repent of it. To put our faith in you. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Stand with us. What can